Crosspoint Community Church. We are here to help each other worship, live, and rescue like Jesus. For more info on who we are, go to cpmodesto.org. This morning we're going to kind of take us up to the end of John the Baptist's life and uh, we're going to kind of wrap up the, the series that we've been doing, which, which has just been so cool because today is the beginning of, of Holy Week in our calendar and, and I think it's kind of cool that um, over the last three weeks we've kind of been journeying this direction and um, <clears throat> we get to see a pretty powerful moment, I think, in history that the Bible records for us. But, but, but first, before we get to John, in, in Luke chapter nine, verse 23, Jesus makes this statement that we're probably all familiar with. He says, if anyone would follow me, they must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. Um, probably one of the most profound and difficult and well-known, but also really hard to live out things that Jesus said. So according to Jesus, he says daily take up our cross. The, the cross actually defines our daily context. You ever thought about that? Um, and, and, and really for us, especially looking back at what Christ did on the cross, that does define us because it's that act in history that brings us forgiveness and salvation and eternal life with Christ. And, and so again, according to Jesus, the cross defines our daily context. It's what we live in. He says every day, take up your cross. He says daily do that. And, and so really what Jesus is saying is that anyone following me daily goes through the tension and the struggle of denying themselves their own desires, their flesh, and accepts the suffering associated with living like Jesus. And, and it's hard because in, in, our, in our world and in our context, in our culture, in our society, we see suffering as something that we want to avoid, but it is that suffering that brings us into this deep intimacy with Jesus and there is this incredible joy that comes out of that. Because that suffering is in a different light and it has a different purpose. And so when Jesus says anyone who wants to follow me, that means anyone, no, no exceptions. There's not some followers who get to say, well, I'm gonna take this path or I'm gonna take this path. He says we deny our own desires which has to do with surrender to him and the, the Holy Spirit's leading in our lives. And then when he says, take up their cross, it's that idea of accepting suffering and, and persevering, holding on, just like what Jesus said. He says, for the, for, the, for, the, for the cross and the suffering set before him, he didn't fall to the shame, but he he went with the joy that God had for him in the, in the midst of that. So, so that, that, that Jesus saw that, that the joy was going through the cross. The joy that God had for him was through the, the doorway or the entryway of the cross. 
And so this is the character and activity that Jesus describes for those who follow him. The value of something or someone is always expressed by what we are willing to give up to obtain it, isn't it? Things that don't have much value, we're not willing to give very much up, are we? <laughs> but then things that have incredible value, we're, we're willing to do a lot. We're willing to go pretty far to obtain those things or pursue those people. And so we've talked about from, from looking at the life of John the Baptist that he's gone from the temple to the wilderness and now we talk about the cross. You see, God's home is no longer the temple because the Israelites saw God's presence and his person in the temple or the tabernacle. It is, it is now because of what Christ did and the, the plan that God had all along that the, God's home is every follower of Christ. Every single follower of Christ, anyone who has given their lives to Jesus, that is where God dwells. That's God's temple. That's God's house. This is not God's house. You are God's house. And God develops the character and the competency of his priesthood in the wilderness. We who are God's house are a, a, a royal priesthood. We are a holy nation of priests that God has brought into his family and given a purpose and a calling. And God develops our character and competency in the wilderness, just like John. And then finally, God identifies his priesthood by the cross. God identifies his priesthood by the cross because it is the action of Jesus Christ on the cross that made us priests, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. And so it's, it's fitting that, that we talk about this today as we, we step into Holy Week. And, and, and again, it's so interesting that, that there was this false expectation that, that Israel had, that the people in Jerusalem, as Jesus came riding on a, a colt, they had this expectation, and, and you know, as shared, shared a little bit, and, and as you, you, you remember the, the, the text of, of Jesus' triumphal entry, that people were taking off their coats and throwing them on the ground, and people were taking palm branches and, and lining the streets as Jesus entered, because that was the entry of a conquering king. One who was going to make all things right. One who was going to finally re relieve them from their oppression. And they had these great expectations of what Jesus was bringing as he was riding into Jerusalem. But that's not really how the week went, was it? <laughs> it was very different than what they expected. And there was a lot of people who were offended by Jesus' failure there that day. That Jesus didn't do what they thought he would do. Judas being one who was offended by Jesus. <laughs> because Jesus didn't do what Judas thought the long-awaited Messiah would do. If you have your Bibles, let's turn to Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter seven. And I wanna start reading in verse 18. But again, let's remember who John the Baptist is. John was born a priest, but God dislocated him 
and his priesthood from the temple to the wilderness. He became a priest with the power of the spirit rather than the power of the system. And I love, I love that, that we can see that God did that, that God took John as a priest from the temple that, which would have been kind of the, the conventional wisdom that that's where the announcement for the Messiah should be. That's where he could prepare the way of the Lord from the temple in all of its power and of all of its glory. Yet God displaces his priesthood from the temple to the wilderness. And so rather than, than being a part of the temple system, and living in that power, he lived in the power of the Spirit. And just remember that when things start to get out of control and, and you're frustrated and you feel like there's, there's not a whole lot we can do, remember that the Spirit is always more powerful than the system. And that as much as we're tempted to rely on the system, we've gotta remember that the Spirit will always come out above the system. And, and so then be, he became a prophet in the wilderness preparing the way for the Messiah and his message was his life. His life and his message, there was no difference between those two things and his words provoked people to repent and be baptized. As we talked last week, tax collectors, soldiers, all kinds of unlikely people came and listened to the message that this prophet in the wilderness was preaching and they repented and they got baptized and they asked, what, what must we do? And then, and then as he did this, John was a threat to King Herod and was arrested and imprisoned. And so in, in Luke chapter seven, we catch up with John in prison and his disciples come and, and, and they are letting him know all the things that are happening on the outside. And so they're telling him about what Jesus is doing and the things that are happening out there. And so in verse 18 of, of Luke chapter seven, it says the disciples of John reported all these things to him. And, and previously, if you look before in that chapter, Jesus has just raised from the dead a widow's son. Pretty, pretty spectacular, big deal. And it says, calling two of his disciples to him, John sent them to the Lord saying, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? And, and, so, and so it's interesting, again, John, who is the one who was assigned to prepare the way of the Messiah of Jesus, he's in prison now and he's been in prison for a little while. Again, he spent 30 years in the wilderness, about six months in ministry preaching and then now he's been in jail for a while. And, and, so, and so what happens is, is, is he sends, he wants to know, are you who I thought you were? And this is such an awesome moment, I think, because it's so encouraging to us because, because John, the guy who Jesus says, among those born of women, John's the greatest, and John is questioning. <laughs> He's not sure. Because things aren't happening the way maybe he had in his mind, 
That a guy who is the forerunner, the prophet who, who paves the way for the Messiah should be happening. And so John is experiencing doubt. And I think it's important for us to recognize something, that there is a difference between having doubt and having unbelief. John wasn't sure. See, doubt is a lack of understanding. It's a, I don't know, and I don't know how I can know. It's saying, I don't understand, and I don't know how I can understand, because this just doesn't make sense. And, and that, is, that is something that we all experience, and, and God desires that we bring that to him. We ask him about it. It is okay to doubt. It is okay to doubt your faith. It is okay to doubt Jesus. The thing that's the killer and sometimes is related to doubt is unbelief. See, doubt is a, is a lack of understanding. Unbelief is an act of our will. I will not believe this. Notice John's approach with his disciples. He said, go and ask Jesus, are you the one? Because I don't know anymore. What he didn't send his disciples to do was to go tell Jesus, go to Jesus and say to him, you're not the one. I don't believe that you're the one. That's not what he did, did he? You see, there's a difference between doubt and unbelief in our lives. Doubt is a difficult place that we can rest in because we don't understand because of pain, because of hurt, because of disappointment. Unbelief is a willful choice to say, I refuse to believe this. And so, so we need to remember that those are different things. You see, one of the reasons I think that John had, was having a struggle with what was happening was because John, more than anyone else, was in tune and understood all of the prophecies in the Old Testament that were referenced toward the coming Messiah. And, and so John, especially being familiar with Isaiah, um, let me just read a couple passages from Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 35, verses five and six. Isaiah says, then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, speaking of the arrival of the Messiah, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy, for waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. Later in, in Isaiah 61, verses one and two, listen to what Isaiah says. He says, the spirit of the, of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, speaking of the Messiah. He has set me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn. Isaiah says these things over and over again. These are, these are kind of the, 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 the typical things in the list of what Isaiah talks about will identify the Messiah. We see this also in chapter 26 and 29. In chapter 42, he talks about all these things. And basically what the, the, typical, the typical suspects in what Isaiah describes of the Messiah is that the blind see, the deaf hear, the lame walk, the mute speak, there's good news being preached to the poor, the, those, the, there, there's the binding up of the brokenhearted, there's liberty proclaimed to the captives, and the prison doors will be opened to those who are bound within. 
Like that's great news and that will identify the Messiah. But not all those things were happening. Not all those things happened the way that they thought would happen. You see, unmet expectations are, are, are some of the greatest threats to our intimacy with Jesus and our faith in him and the way we carry out our priestly duties. See, unmet expectations fueled Israel's idolatry. They ended up worshiping a calf in the desert because they didn't have a vision for communion with God in the wilderness. Remember that when, when, when Moses went up on, on Mount Sinai and, and he was speaking with the Lord and, and the Israelites were down in, in, at the base of the mountain and they said, you know what? We expected things to be different. We saw this going differently than it's gone. And now we're waiting here. We don't even know if Moses is alive. And so because our expectations have not been fulfilled, we want to create our own God. So that Aaron, Aaron fashioned us a God and Aaron took their, all their gold and precious metals and he fashioned a, a golden calf. And, and that was because they had expectations of what God was gonna do with them and they weren't being met. Do you see how Israel's expectations, their unmet expectations fueled their idolatry and pursuit of other gods? See, un unmet expectations are one of our biggest enemies in this age. God, I expected that you would have done this for me. God, I expected that, that, that when you know, I got married and, and began a family that these things would work out. God, I expected that, that this job would, would last. God, I expected that, that, that once I became a Christian, the, the, the tension and the issues with my family or, or the people around me would go away. And oftentimes those unmet expectations, the things that we want from God because sometimes we see transactionally that if we do this, then God should do this. And it's not that we're bad people, it's that we experience oftentimes intense pain and difficulty in life. And it makes sense that we would be disappointed and that we might expect something different. And so what John does is John is experiencing unmet expectations. I don't know what exactly he was hoping for or thinking, but, but I would guess that somebody who has this miraculous birth has this incredible ministry for a moment, ends up in prison and alone, John looks out at his disciples and says, go and, and tell me, ask Jesus, are these things happening that I know identify the Messiah, and if they are, why aren't all the things happening? Maybe it was almost a mild prod for Jesus from John to do the full work of the Messiah. <laughs> like, Jesus, do the whole thing. Don't just do part of it, do everything. Let's get this show on the road. Let's get this done. I've done, you know, I, I prepared the way. I wanna see my prison doors open because <laughs> that's what Isaiah said. And, 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 so, and so Jesus 
responds to John and his disciples. In, in, verse, in verse 20, we, we catch up and, and it says, and when the men, these disciples of John, had come to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you saying, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? Are you really the Messiah? Or have we misidentified you? No big deal, but we'll just look for someone else. And, and so they wait for Jesus' answer. It says in verse 21, listen to what, how, how, how Luke describes what's going on. It says, in, the, in that hour, Jesus healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits, and on many who were blind, he bestowed sight. Does this sound like some of the Isaiah prophecies? It sounds like some of the things that Isaiah spoke of. And he says, and he answered them, go and tell John what you have seen and heard. Go and tell John what you've seen and heard. And Jesus gives them a specific message to give to John. He says, go and tell John what you've seen and heard. Tell him this. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up. The poor have good news preached to them. What's the next thing in kind of the Isaiah list? It's, and those in prison will be freed. But Jesus doesn't say that, does he? He stops short of, of that, I would suggest, fairly critical thing that John wanted to hear. And it's interesting. It's this omission of one of the things that, that John, that, that Isaiah talked about frequently. He says, go tell John, the blind see, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor have good news, and then Jesus stops quoting Isaiah. And so what's missing is that he opens prison doors to the bound. And I think this was intentional on Jesus' part, and it was clear as day when John received the message from Jesus through his disciples. The silence about prison was confirmation that John was not getting out of prison and that he was in the right place. To me, that's a really heavy statement. That's a heavy thing and, and that almost has to, we have to give it a second to, to, to sink in. Here's what Jesus was saying to John by omitting that the prison doors would be open to the bound. That John, you're in the right place and you're not gonna get out of prison. And by saying what he said, he was answering in the affirmative, yeah, I am the one you were looking for. And, 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 and it's, it's so hard because here's the reality. If you look through scripture, many of God's best friends have been rejected, abandoned, forgotten, and imprisoned. Just think about from the Old Testament to the New Testament. The Apostle Paul spent years in prison at the end of his life. The Apostle John was exiled to an island 
Joseph in the Old Testament was wrongly, falsely accused and imprisoned. Many of God's best friends have been rejected, abandoned, and forgotten and imprisoned. We simply do not have the capacity to evaluate our lives correctly at every moment. And here's what I need us to understand because we will face these things. God's deep affection for you does not always correlate to whether or not you or I feel successful. Our feelings of being successful do not correlate to God's deep affection. God's leadership of your life, of my life, while sometimes deeply disappointing, does not mean that he does not deeply love you, nor does it mean you failed in your assignment. Did John complete the assignment God gave him? Absolutely. Does it look like from conventional eyes that John was successful? Not really. (laughs) He got caught. He was imprisoned. And then he died in prison, all alone. You see, again, the way God moves in us and through us oftentimes is not what we expect, not what we necessarily want, but don't let that tell you that God does not deeply love you or that you have failed him because he loves you and chances are that you've done exactly what he's called you to do. So this omission that Jesus makes of the prison doors being open to the bound, Jesus replaces it. And he says, go tell John, the blind see, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor have good news, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. I feel like that's kind of offensive. (laughs) Jesus says to John, blessed is the one who's not offended by me. Instead of saying, and the prison doors will be opened. I feel like if I were John, I'd I'd wanna send my disciples back and say, okay, go back to Jesus and have another conversation. (laughs) Because this is not what I was looking for. But Jesus says, blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Even the man Jesus calls the greatest could be offended by Jesus' leadership in his life. Instead of opening John's prison, Jesus warned him that he may be tempted to be offended at the place that God has called him to. He says, blessed is the one who's not offended by me. See, John had a choice, become offended by Jesus because Jesus didn't do what he kind of wanted Jesus to do, or recognize Jesus as the Messiah and trust him that whatever's going on, that he'll do what is best. John had to make that decision. I would imagine that that was a really difficult place for John to be, sitting in a cell, wrongly imprisoned, and then sitting there with Jesus saying, don't be offended that you're in prison Don't be offended that your ministry came to an end so abruptly. Don't be offended that you're not gonna get out of prison. 
And that, that's a hard thing. You see, lasting offense exposes our hidden things. Lasting offense exposes our hidden things. When unmet expectations cause deep and lasting offense with God, it reveals that we were not fully after God, we were after God plus something else. Does that make sense? When we are offended with God because he didn't do something or something didn't turn out the way we wanted it to turn out, what that says about us, it reveals something that maybe we weren't really just simply after God himself and we were after God plus what we thought he would bring with him for us. That's the story of, of lots of people who walked away from the faith. This isn't what I expected. This isn't what I signed up for. And I think it's also the story of many of us in the faith who continue to serve God but have this kind of chip on our shoulder of expectation and saying, God, why aren't you doing this? Because I've done all this for you. I expected this to be different. See, this exposure is God's gift to us because when these offenses come, we have the opportunity to turn to the Lord and allow him to heal us or we can choose to nurture the offense and turn our expectations into culturally accepted idols. Basically, what we can do is either say, look, God, I didn't expect this, and I'm realizing now that, that maybe I had some conditions on my following of you. So God, I don't want to do because I'm in pain, but I need your healing in my life, and I trust that you know how to heal me. Or I can go in the direction to say, God, you didn't meet my expectations. This isn't what I expected. So I'm going to do a workaround. And while I still follow you, I'm going to live this way, which maybe won't look like abject sin in my life, but it will become kind of a culturally accepted idol because other people in the church won't blame me for it. And, 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 and so... Really, this is the point of the cross and what Jesus says in Luke 9. See, the cross is offensive to our flesh. The cross means self-denial. It means I don't get to do everything I wanna do. It means some of the dreams that I have are not God's dreams for me. And every time we deny ourselves and carry our cross, at some point, we pick it back up, don't we? Or we put it back down and we revert back to fulfilling ourselves. That's why Jesus says we have to daily do this. John had to make a decision, and he did. He made a decision to allow God to heal him and trust that God knows what he's doing, even though he was left in prison. See, I think many people don't grasp how God works and what exactly God wants, not only in our lives, but in the world. So they un unintentionally resist him when they get offended by him. Others end up offended with God because of their unmet expectations or the difficulty of the process of transformation. All the while, God is often orchestrating circumstances in our lives to produce exactly what he wants in us. You go back to Israel. Israel 
was looking forward to the Messiah who would come and he would judge the nations and restore their political independence and the greatness of Israel. That's what those people on, on, on Palm Sunday were thinking as they were lining the streets, was that the Messiah's coming into Jerusalem and what he's gonna do is he's gonna judge all the nations. Particularly, he's gonna judge Rome who's been oppressing us and we will be restored to our political independence and Israel will be great again. But is that what happened at the end of the week? It didn't. And we read throughout the New Testament, through the book of Acts and through the, the epistles and, and the apostles, they say that Israel rejected the Messiah. Not only did Israel reject the Messiah, but they killed the Messiah. Why? Because their expectations of the Messiah were not met. And, 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 and so what we see is that Israel, here in the New Testament at the end of the Gospels, Israel was offended by Jesus and they valued the hope of a nation more than the divine presence of God in flesh. And I think that's the thing that we have to recognize. Israel being the people that God called out of all the nations to be a people who are God's treasured possession. They went so far because of their unmet expectations and their disappointment with God to the point that they rejected and killed the very Messiah they were waiting for. If, if a nation that was individually called out in a miraculous way by God himself, how easy it is, is it for, for anyone else throughout history to do that? This is Israel who, who saw the, the fire of God go before them and the cloud of God go before them. This is, this is Israel who saw God part the Red Sea. This is Israel who had, who had prophet after prophet who spoke God's word. They saw all kinds of things, yet they still were disappointed and offended by God's leadership of their nation to the point where they said, we want, a, we want a king like everyone else. We are offended that you aren't doing what we want you to do as our king. I wanna to read to you a, a statement that is a great statement, and I, and I, and I, and I appreciate this statement, and I, and I think it's a good statement. We are endowed by our creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That God himself has given, guaranteed us that we will have life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. I love that statement, but I don't find that statement in the Bible. I don't find anywhere in scripture that God gives us an unalienable right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And I guess if you're kinda like, well, let's ask John. <laughs> I think John might have a, a big problem with that, saying, well then where's my life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness? 
because that wasn't given to me. As I said, this is good, but it's not from God and it's not transformative. This is man's attempt to forego the purpose God has given the priesthood and receive their inheritance now, even before Jesus, our King, has received his full inheritance. And that's just our nature. This is, this is our nature. We, we, we want the best for ourselves while we follow Jesus right now. And it's really hard when we don't get that. It's really difficult. Because life is hard. And I think sometimes, if we're honest, we are offended by God when we don't experience the life we've always wanted. <laughs> so, you know, God, God, you know God, God didn't show up. The Bible presents our walk with God in this age as a pilgrimage where we are strangers waiting for a future inheritance, yet so often we can go to Christian conferences or read books or even churches and ministries call us to pursue our inheritance, our destiny, and fulfillment in this age. And, and the reality is that Jesus will fulfill us, but right now we have to trust him and pursue intimacy with him because he can take all of the things that we are experiencing and bring incredible joy out of those things. But we have to trust him. And we have to, as Jesus said to John, be careful not to be offended by me because I'm, I'm going to ask you to do some hard things. And so often we, we love our freedoms and our options so much that it costs us the pleasure of actually knowing God. Because again, when we think of John, John was wrongly imprisoned and had a right based on Isaiah's prophetic voice for the Messiah to release him from prison. Isaiah said it in the Old Testament that the prison doors will be open to those who are bound. And I, John the Baptist, am going to rest on that prophecy that was given. It's from God's mouth, so I have a right to be freed from prison. John didn't get to see the crucifixion, the resurrection, and the outpouring of the Spirit that he prophesied about. He wasted 30 years preparing for a six-month ministry that led him to prison and a premature death alone. If anyone has a right to accuse God of negligence, I think it's John. <laughs> like I would say, I would not blame John for accusing God of negligence with him and his life. But he didn't. See, God's end time agenda is very clear and straightforward. Let me read it to you. It's in, it's in Revelation chapter one. This is God's end time agenda for his priesthood. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. God's end time plan is to reveal Jesus Christ to the world. That's God's plan. 
that we are called to be his witnesses. We are to give testimony of Jesus Christ. You know, we aren't actually called to be in charge in this lifetime. We're actually called to reveal Jesus Christ to the world. That is our primary calling. You see, that the bridegroom is coming again and we have been commissioned as a priesthood to prepare a people and the nations for him. And here's the thing that, that I have been struggling with. I'm gonna share it with you. Have you settled the fact that God's leadership of your life may offend you and are you preparing others to face their offense with God and his ways? Do you realize that God will do things in your life that may offend you? Are you ready for that? And are you helping other people recognize that? That God may do things that offend them. Many were offended when God sent Jesus to the cross. Will the church be offended when God allows his people to go to the cross? There's two things that God has deeply offended me. Super frustrating. And they're within the last four years, five years. And, 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 I, and I don't know that I really knew what was going on in my mind and heart in those moments, but I can now identify those things as I was deeply offended. And I, and I look back and I think of how I talked to God during that time, and I was angry, and I wanted out. I was offended a few years ago that God would have me here to answer questions about things that happened in the past at this church that I had nothing to do with. And I was angry. And I literally said, God, how dare you? How dare you? Because I don't deserve this. During the pandemic, as we all experienced things that probably many of us said we don't deserve, I remember telling God, I'm done. I don't want to have to try and lead anyone. People are hurtful. People betray. People say nice things to your face and then talk about you behind your back. And God, it's not even those people. It's you. You did this, God. And I was offended. And I wonder how I would have reacted if somebody came up to me and read to me this passage from Luke 7. Blessed is the one who's not offended by me. 
what Jesus said to me during that time was this. You're exactly where you're supposed to be. And things won't work out the way you think they will, the way you want things to work out. But you have a choice to trust me and follow me, surrender, and persevere. I know that in this room, many of you have faced deeply difficult things. Whether it's with your family, whether it's with your health, whether it's relationally, whether it's financially, it can be all kinds of things. And those things aren't light, those things aren't easy. But, but I would ask you to think a little bit about the fact that God loves you and he sees you and he probably says to you, you're where I want you. And you do need to trust me. Don't be offended by me. Trust me. Are we preparing ourselves and others not to be offended when we suffer by God's design? Or are we trying to convince ourselves that we will not suffer? Because here's what I realized is that I can't help anyone if I'm carrying offense towards God. I can't lead anyone while I carry offense towards God. I can say good things. I can probably teach well, but I can't actually lead anyone when I'm carrying offense towards God. See, the bottom line is this. We, like John, are priests who are called to prepare the way for Jesus' coming. We, like John, are called to be formed into the image of Jesus. We, like John, are called to deny ourselves and carry our cross daily. Part of bearing our cross is choosing not to take offense when our expectation of God is not met. And I think many of us hearing this today have taken offense and we are holding those offenses towards God. I believe that the Spirit this morning is saying that it's time to turn those offenses over to the very God that we are offended by. If and only if we've surrendered to the deep work of the Spirit and pursue intimacy with Jesus, will our lives live this way result in indescribable joy that is not anchored in our circumstances or our situations or what, we, what happens to us or what we have to walk through because all of that will be overwhelmed by the joy that is set before us. So will you choose like John to be consumed by the love of the divine bridegroom? And this is an ultimate question that requires an ultimate response. If you say yes, then you will be transformed. Like John, your life will become a message regardless of your notoriety. But if you say no, here's what I want you to hear. God will still love you. But you'll find yourself increasingly out of step with him. You won't find the intimacy that he wants with you. So as the, as the worship team comes back up and, and leads us I want to ask this, because I, I was praying last night, 
And as much as I feel like I have given my offenses back over to the Spirit, I find myself grabbing onto them every so often. It is hard to let go of the offenses that God has offended us with. I also know a number of people who are even here in the room, probably even watching online, who are people who I have seen that have great reason to be offended by God, but they aren't offended by God. And they are living in a manner, they are walking worthy of their calling. And so here's what I wanna do is just in the, in the quiet as we end this morning, as we, as we, as we worship and, and close things up. And this kind of is a bit of a risky thing, but if you are here this morning and you have maybe realized that you are carrying lasting offense towards God because of maybe unmet expectations, in just a second, I'm gonna ask you to stand if that's what the Spirit's doing in your life and heart right now. And then once those people, if any, have stood, I wanna ask those who are here, who have worked through their offense with God, I want, I want you to go pray for those people. Because we need your prayers. If we are going to be the kind of priests in this holy nation who are really preparing the way for the Lord. And so if you're here this morning and you are carrying lasting offense towards God, I'm asking you to stand right now. This is me standing because it's hard. So I would ask that others then come around those people and just pray for them. That God would heal them. That God would remind them of his deep love. And that God would be able to carry the offenses that they are holding on to away to the cross and heal them. so much for listening. We hope you feel inspired and moved by what God is doing here at Crosspoint.